if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, I gave a, a pretty hefty update about our venue situation. So back in the fall, uh, we found out that we are losing the cannery. And so we have, I think, seven weeks left, including today in this space. We've been here 13 years, week to week lease. It's been amazing what God's done. And so two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, I stood up and kind of gave you that update and asked you to pray about a couple of things as we were getting ready to go into a retreat with some of our elders and, and lead pastors. And I wanna give you just a real quick follow-up there. You can go back and listen to the full announcement a few weeks ago, it's online. But in, in regards to that retreat, we really asked you to pray into two things specifically. Um, number one, we were asking if in this season, it seems as though the Lord is bringing our cannery family and our family that meets over at Marathon Music Works a couple of miles from here, uh, we sensed kind of during this month of prayer and fasting that God might be bringing those two families together to join forces in ministry. And so that was one of our prayer points. And then the second prayer point is, uh, regardless of whether or not we come together, where are we gonna gather on May 1st? And so if our last Sunday here is April 24th, the next Sunday we have to go somewhere. So we're praying for clarity. And so we, we went into that retreat, it was amazing. We got so much feedback from the church family leading into that, so many prayers, so many ideas. Uh, so much encouragement. You guys are amazing. So grateful for that. Wanted to, to just express that on the front end. We came out of that retreat um, really with clarity in one of those areas and still a little bit of uncertainty in the second area. So regarding whether or not we sense God bringing our church family together with the family over at Marathon, uh, man, we had so much clarity that it seems like that's what God is doing in this season. So we believe on May 1st that the Cannery family and the Marathon family are gonna join forces for a season of ministry where we believe this will give us the ability to dig our roots in more deeply uh, as we think about what it means to be disciples of Jesus right here and now. But we think it'll also allow us to take the mission of God further into the city and beyond. And so that was one of those prayer points. We came into the month of February with no clarity about that came out of the month of February with a lot of clarity. And so we're just so grateful to God, grateful to you for your prayers. We'll give you more updates about what that means and what that looks like. So the first prayer point, lots of clarity. The second prayer point is then, well, where are we gonna meet on the first? You know, So there, there's a possibility that we could go over to Marathon's building and uh, we're, we're working out some of those details. We don't know if that's gonna work or not. We've had some other things that are still on the table. We have ideas that are still coming in. And so what I wanna just ask is, will you just keep praying? Uh, we have a lot of clarity on the first piece. It's still a little bit fuzzy on the second piece, but we know God is in it. And, and so it's been fun, you know, just, I go, man, seven weeks. I was telling my dad that, he made a statement. He said, seven weeks is way too long for God to work. So you shouldn't expect an answer, at least for another six and a half weeks. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and, and that might be true, but um, I wanna encourage you, let's just keep praying, let's keep seeking. We're gonna do our best to keep you informed without waterboarding you with information. So um, go back and listen uh, to old announcements uh, if you need to, to catch up, but that's that. So Matthew 11 is where we're gonna go this morning. Uh, we're gonna take it in a slightly different direction. We just wrapped up this month of prayer and fasting and normally we take the Sunday after uh, this season of prayer and fasting and it's like, a, hey, let's charge the hill kind of moment. You know, all this spiritual momentum that we have as a church family, but we really sense the Holy Spirit just inviting us to look at kind of a different side of the coin this morning as we come out of a month like the one that we've just been in. So I wanna pray over us and uh, we'll jump into the word of God together. Father, thank you so much just for our church family. Thank you for the gift of getting to be together in, in this space for all of these years, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're going to do. Um, Father, I just 
in my spirit. I have all of this anticipation because it's not in your nature to lead us here, just to leave us here. You're not going to, to put us in a position uh, where uh, we can't hear your voice and see your face. And, and God, we know that you're gonna direct us. We don't know when or how, um, but Lord, we just thank you in advance for what you have uh, in store for us. And so God, would you give us the ability to live open-hearted and open-handed? Uh, would you just keep guiding us day by day, step by step, and would you help us to enjoy the adventure of faith? I'm with you. And Father, this morning, I just think about the conversation we're gonna have and whether this is the season each person is in or the season someone they love is in or a season they will be in in the future, Father, would you just take your word and let it just um, sit deeply in our hearts and uh, God, would you just grow it and um, water it and strengthen it over time. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Before we jump in, is that not the longest train squeal? Like, I mean, we've been here for 13 years. It's, it's typically squeaky, but it's just like slow. It's like the conductor's just like, we're gonna get them this week. It's like, <laughs> So long, so slow. So uh, this morning, if I had to sum up my whole message in one, in one question, here's how I'd sum it up. What do you do when God doesn't do what you wish he would do? That's it. <laughs> what do you do when God doesn't do what you want him to do or what you think he should do or what you've prayed for him to do? Like, what do you do when God doesn't do when do what you want him to do. And here, here's the reality. You know, there's a guy after the nine o'clock, he came up and he's in his early 60s. And he, he said, Dave, he goes, he goes, I could have preached that message for you. He goes, that's been the story of my life. And, and he said, the reality is, he said, that's not the season I'm in right now, but I've been in it and I know I'll be in it again. And he goes, there's something so true about that because part of the journey of faith is coming face to face with the reality that God is a living God. He has a personality he has a will of his own. God is not a cosmic gumball machine that we put the quarter in and we turn it just right and we, and we get the outcomes that we want. He's not an algorithm. He's, he's not a genie in a lamp. I mean, he is a living, breathing, all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And the reality is what we, what we discover in the context of our lives are there, there are times when we come to God and we come to God with pure hearts and we come to God with faith and we, we come to God with open hands and we go, God, man, we need clarity. We need breakthrough. We need a miracle. We need this thing. And from our perspective, the only plausible answer from Jesus would be absolutely yes. And if you've been alive for longer than a minute, you've probably discovered there's times you come to God with that sort of posture and his response is not a yes, but it's a no or not yet, or sometimes it's a nothing at all, it's just kind of silent, and in those, in those seasons, there's, there's this temptation to go, God, like, where are you? And so this morning, on the other side of this month of prayer and fasting, I just want us to wrestle with, okay, what do we do with all of the unanswereds from the past month? You know, last Sunday night was amazing. We're in this room and people are testifying and worshiping and people are getting baptized and they're singing and dancing. It's, it was incredible. I'm hearing story after story about what God had answered and done. But as I'm listening to those things, I was reminded of a moment that Sydney and I went through eight years ago. It was the first time she and I had really pursued God uh, in a long extended season of prayer and fasting. We had, we're not doing it with our church at that time. We set aside 30 days and we're just praying, fasting, we're seeking God. And we had all of these areas where we needed clarity, breakthrough. We knew we needed God's help. 
And I'm not gonna lie, I went into that month with all of these expectations. I'm like, you know what, God is gonna, he's gonna answer this and this. And, and I just, I knew, I'm like, man, look at God, how faithful we're being. And we expect if we're being this faithful, that you're gonna come through in a big way. And so fast forward just a little bit, we get two to three weeks into that fast. And, and it was not a whole lot of breakthrough. It was more questions. It was more confusion. It was more like, God, what are you doing here? We got to day 23 or 24, and I'm saying all of the cliche things like, you know, God is never early and he's never late. He's just on time, <laughs> you know, and I'm saying these things to try to like muster up some strength. But in my heart, I thought, I don't know if he's gonna answer this one. And we got to the end of, of that month of just wholeheartedly seeking God and just all my cards on the table. We did not have the answers or the breakthrough or the clarity that we thought we needed, wanted, or if I'm being very candid, deserved. And I'm not saying that we did deserve, I'm just saying that was the posture of our heart. And we came out of that month and I felt like we, in an effort to get closer to God, took like three steps back. A little disheartened, a little disappointed, a little disillusioned. I saw God doing things in all sorts of ways in other people's lives. I just couldn't see him at work in my life. And, and I'm not gonna make you raise your hand. I guarantee you, we've all had some sort of experience like this where we come face to face with the reality that at times Jesus disappoints us. And I know that feels sacrilegious. I promise it's not, and we're not going, I'm just saying there's times where you go, hey, Jesus, what I thought you were gonna do in light of who you are has been very different than what you've actually done. And the most honest way to express that is to go, Lord, I'm just, I'm struggling with that. So this, this morning, whether this is for you or for someone you love, or whether it will be for future you, I wanna encourage you to just let your heart be vulnerable even to those spaces where you've come face to face with the reality that the living God does not always function the way that you wish he functioned. You know, there's this moment in Matthew chapter 11, this is where we're gonna dig in this morning and I love this story. I love this story because it's so complex. It flies in the face of what we want to be true. I love it because there's so much humanity in the midst of all of it. It's a story that takes place between John the Baptist and Jesus. And if you know the story, I'll just give you a little bit of the cliff notes. You know, John the Baptist, he was a, he was a beast of a man, like just a, a man of God. He's not a guy that just came to faith, you know, in his teen years or college years or early 20s and then started doing great things for God. This was a guy that was, he was appointed for great things before he was ever born. You know, how's this for like a gender reveal party? You know, they don't like pop a confetti cannon for John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel shows up. Maybe you remember the story. He shows up to John the Baptist parents and he says, hey, listen, I know you're old. I know you haven't been able to have kids, but here's the deal. God has a son for you and his son has been marked with a destiny and that destiny is to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's gonna be a prophet. He's gonna pave the way. And so John, I mean, before he's even born, this, this destiny is on his life. And then he, he grows up and he grows into that destiny, just kind of this rugged, like man's man, like, you know, bearded, lives out in the woods, not shopping at H&M. He gets his stuff at, you know, Bass Pro on the sales rack. That's where he got his clothes from. And you, you kind of know the guy, right? Just like in the woods all the time, never owned a house, never got married, never led a church, never wrote a book, never wrote a song, never had a podcast, never did all of the things that we typically associate with influence in our current moment, and yet his life was marked by the destiny of God. Out in the wilderness, 
preaching, preparing the way for Jesus. And I love the way he preached, bold, unafraid, didn't care what people think. He wasn't a people pleaser. He didn't get done with his sermon, check Twitter to see how people were responding or thinking. He just preached the unwatered down, unfiltered truth of Christ. And that preaching, if you know John's story, gets him in a lot of trouble as so often good preaching will get you in. (laughs) He preaches against Herod who was in an adulterous relationship. Herod was the leader of the day. He throws John in prison. And so we come to Matthew chapter 11 and the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that John had been in prison about a year at this point. Hadn't been a one night stint in the county jail He's there in the inner cell of Herod's prison for about a year, and all of a sudden, it's in this dark space where where, where John the Baptist begins to just wrestle with some things. And he begins to wrestle with the reality is, like, what do I do when Jesus doesn't seem to be interested in doing what I think he should do? And we get one of the most honest, beautiful back and forths in Matthew chapter 11 that we get in any place in the gospel. So let's start together in verse one, Matthew 11. It begins like this. It says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him, Listen to this, guys. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? I want you to stop here for a second. This, this is John. This is the guy that, whose birth had been commissioned by angels. This is John, the very first one to name Jesus as the Messiah. You are the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. This is John, the cousin of Jesus, who baptized Jesus, who was there when the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is John who witnessed the Holy Spirit being poured out on Jesus. But here John is in a dark night of the soul, in a prison. Life is not going the way that John thought it should go when he was being faithful to Jesus. And he asked a question. He says, are you the one? Or should we expect somebody else? Isn't it amazing what a little bit of disappointment will do to your theology? (laughs) Isn't it amazing what a little bit of hardship can do to what we thought we were so rooted in? Keeps going, verse four. Jesus replied to John's disciples. He said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. And here Jesus is gonna start quoting these messianic prophecies out of the book of Isaiah, these things that the Jewish people had been longing for and waiting for as markers of the Messiah. He says, go and tell them what you hear and see, verse five. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So blessed is anyone who does not stumble, or some of your Bibles say fall away, or are offended on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are kings in palaces. And what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and he is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. Listen to what Jesus says about John the Baptist here. I mean, this is one of the most profound statements that the living God could ever make about a human being. 
Verse 11, Jesus says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, which is all of humanity for the record, among those born of women, there has not been anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus says about John. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jump back to verse three with me, verse two and three with me for one second. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? What do you do when Jesus isn't doing what you think Jesus should be doing or what you wish he would be doing? How do you deal with disappointment? Now, here's, here's what I want us to notice for just a moment. I, I want us to understand the conditions that disappointment tends to grow in before we understand what it looks like to bring those places of disappointment wholeheartedly into the presence of Jesus. You know, my wife loves snow. Like in Nashville, we get it kind of rarely. We had some good snow this year, but we're constantly being teased with the possibility of snow. And my, my wife, she's always like looking at all of the things. And sometimes, you know, we'll find, you know, they'll say, hey, it could snow this week. And she'll be like, no, it's not gonna snow at all. And then other times, like I get back and there's boxes from Amazon with new plastic sleds, you know, because she's like, it's gonna snow this week. And I'm like, how do you know? You didn't go, you didn't go to weather school. Like, how do you know? But she, she's learned over the years to just look out for certain conditions. And here's, here's what I found is as we walk through our story with Jesus, disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, those things, they very rarely spring on us out of nowhere. They typically grow in similar conditions. And so the question is, what, what sort of conditions do things like despair and disappointment, like what sort of conditions do those things grow in? And I'll just give you a couple of things that I see real quickly out of this story. The first is disappointment. It so often grows in the midst of difficult circumstances. Look back at verse two. Where was John at when his disappointment began to spring up? It says, when John was in prison... <laughs> When John was in prison, the, the disappointment didn't spring up when the ministry was growing, when everything was working. It, it sprung up when he's in this prison in the midst of a really difficult circumstance. I mean, have you ever noticed you very rarely doubt the goodness of God when life is working exactly the way you want it to work? Very rarely when the job is going great and the relationship is going great and all of the friend dynamics are great and your parents are finally getting along at Christmas or whatever it is, very rarely when your life is going great do you pause and go, I just don't know if God is good anymore. So often that disappointment, that hardship, that, that deconstruction, those things are, are bred, they grow up in the context of difficult circumstances. John finds himself in a difficult circumstance. But it's not just difficult circumstances, the, kind of the second kind of condition that I so often see for disappointment is unmet expectations. Have you ever noticed what happens in your heart when your expectations aren't met? When there is a gap between what you expected and what you are experiencing, you are a person that is ripe for disappointment and doubt and disillusionment. And what I'd say is the, the farther that gap between what you expected and what you experienced, the, the greater the odds are that disappointment and all those things will grow because we are creatures that are conditioned to believe that things should work the way that we think things should work. And when people don't meet our expectations or when God doesn't meet our expectations, all of that stuff begins to grow in uh, the midst of us. You know, next uh, month, Sydney and I were celebrating 17 years of marriage 
And before that, we dated five years, which it's another sermon for another day. Wouldn't recommend dating that long, but we had dated a long time. And towards the end of us dating, Sydney was getting a little, just, she, uh, just to put it bluntly, if she was here this morning, she, she was kind of done. She's like, hey, you're gonna either ask me to marry you or not. They're like, we're not gonna keep doing this thing. And, and uh, she, was, she was not interested in waiting much longer. And so towards the end of our dating relationship, there were a lot of moments where she had the expectation that I was gonna propose, but she had an experience that was quite different than that. And it led to some uncomfortable moments. And I think about this one moment in particular it was Christmas before I proposed uh, a few months later. And I, hadn't, I had not even thought about the fact that in her mind, Christmas would be the perfect time for me to propose. <laughs> now, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Um, but in her mind, Christmas is perfect. And so I come up with this idea. I don't know she's thinking that. I'm not even on that same wavelength, you know? And, and so I, I, I meet up with her roommates and I'm like, hey, I'll, I've got this idea for Christmas. I'm gonna break into the house in the middle of the night, dressed like Santa. I'm gonna have a bag with gifts and I'm gonna give her a bunch of great gifts. And, and her roommates are hearing this through the lens of he's gonna propose. And so they're eager to help me. I'm not thinking any of this, you know? And so I get a bunch of great gifts. And to be honest, I thought I was killing it. I felt really good going into that Christmas and break into her apartment, dressed like Santa, have my bag. And we're by the Christmas tree and I'm giving her one gift and the next gift's better than that and the next gift's better than that. Sweet little notes and pictures, you know, from, and she's just like crying and I'm like, wow, this is working. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> and she's really loving this Christmas and I get to the end and I'm like, okay, I've got one last gift for you. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to put your hands out. <laughs> Guys, you see it, I see it now. I didn't see it then. And so she's there by her Christmas tree with her tender, sweet little heart. Her hands are wide open. She's expecting a small little box. And what I put in her hands was a DVD player. <laughs> True story, which one that shows you how old we are. It was an awesome gift. She needed one, it cost like 120 bucks. So it was a big gift. I put this DVD player in her hands and as soon as it hits her little hands, she opens her eyes and she just starts weeping. And she's like, thank you, and starts crying. And I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, obviously, hence the story, but um, I immediately thought, those are not tears of joy, like, I knew. And, and I had no idea, like, oh, what she expected was one thing. What she experienced was totally different, and what came swelling into that gap was disappointment. And to be honest, there's even a little disillusionment. She just went, if he is this stupid, <laughs> is he ever gonna ask? It's the conditions of disappointment, difficult situations, unmet expectation. I'll give you one more, limited perspective. Limited perspective. See, part of the reason I missed it that night was I already had the ring purchased. It was back in my dorm room. I knew when I was gonna propose, how I was gonna propose. That's why it wasn't even crossing my mind that she thought that, was, that this was the moment. But she didn't have that same perspective. The only thing she had was a whole lot of uncertainty and there's this moment where, where John, he's there in prison. He's in the dark night of the soul. He doesn't know what Jesus is up to. He doesn't know what's happening in the world. He doesn't know how his suffering and his life fits in God's greater plan for glory and worship and all of those things. All he knows is from his perspective, Jesus is not doing what he thinks Jesus should be doing. And he is disappointed he is heart sick. I bet you he's disoriented and he asks this question. He sends his disciples to ask the question, Jesus, are you in fact the one or should we wait for somebody else? 
And guys, I want you to notice this. I love what John does with his disappointment. It's like a master's class in disappointment. Notice this. In faithful community, he takes his disappointment straight to Jesus with brutal honesty. In community, he takes his disappointment straight to Jesus with brutal honesty. He doesn't show up and say, hey, Jesus, here's kind of what I'm feeling, kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> he just asks the question in community, are you the one that we're waiting for? I've got to be honest, this is the point where I want the story to pivot. You know, if we were writing this, Jesus would hear this request. He'd hear this question from John's friends and he'd say, hey, hey tell John that I see him, that I'm, I'm coming. In fact, I've got 10,000 angels that are on, on standby and we're gonna come and we're, we're gonna bust them out of here in two days. John, just hold on a little bit longer. I haven't forgotten you. I see you, buddy. We're coming for you. Your circumstances are gonna change. But that's not the message that Jesus sends back. And Jesus' response here, it is, it is beautiful, it is complicated, and I believe it has to work its way all the way down into the bedrock of our soul if we're gonna stand strong with Jesus in the midst of all of the heartache, suffering, struggle that, we've, that we face in life. Because Jesus responds to John the Baptist, his beloved cousin, this man who had walked so faithfully, this man that Jesus looked at and said, of anyone ever born, he's the greatest. Jesus looks at him and he gives him a response that feels a little bit like a mixed bag, a little bit of good news, a little bit of bad news, and something that would have probably made John sick at his stomach. That's how John, Jesus responds. Look at verse four. He said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So blessed is anyone who does not stumble or fall away on account of me. Now this is, this is a bit perplexing to us sitting in our seats. So you have to hear this through the years that John would have heard this. John was a Jewish man who was proclaiming a Jewish Messiah. He knew the Jewish scriptures. He understood the marks of what they were looking for in the coming Messiah. And so when Jesus began to say, hey, go back and tell him what you see and what they saw were all of the things they were looking for in the Messiah, this would have given John great confidence. John would have gone, okay, good. Jesus is the one that we're waiting for. He is the Messiah. I haven't wasted my life. I haven't gotten this wrong. And so the first part of Jesus' response to John in the midst of his disappointment would have been really encouraging. But it's the end of Jesus' little statement, not what he said, but what he didn't say that would have brought John so much heartache. And so Jesus here, as he begins to talk to John's disciples in verse four and five, Jesus is just quoting from the prophet Isaiah Jesus is quoting a sermon that he had preached in his hometown synagogue that John would have been well aware of. And it would have been a message that would have really encouraged John until he got to the very end and he would have noticed that Jesus left off a key part. Because the way that the sermon ended that Jesus had preached a year or two earlier, that sermon ended with Jesus saying, and the prisoners are set free. But Jesus preaches the whole message to John and he stops short of saying, but the prisoners aren't gonna be set free this time, John. And he goes, I am the Messiah, but me being the Messiah has, is not gonna change your circumstances here in this moment. 
And I just imagine John, he's waiting there. His disciples come back. Hey, what did he say? Is he the Messiah? Yeah, John, he's the Messiah. Look at what's happening out in the world. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, those with leprosy are, are cured. The, the good news is preached to the poor. And John's like, yeah, yeah, and what's the, and, and that's it. What about me? And Jesus says, John, this time it's not gonna go the way that you think it should go or want it to go. Look at verse six, what he says. And he says, so blessed are you. Blessed are you when you do not fall away or stumble on account of me. Jesus says, John, I'm about to, he says, I'm still about my agenda. I'm still doing what I need to do. And he goes, but in the moment with your limited perspective and your difficult circumstances and your unmet expectations, it's gonna be really difficult for you to see where God is at work in all of this. He goes, so buddy, if you would just hang on, if you would trust me, even in the dark, your life will be blessed. My friend on Thursday, he said, Dave, faith is like film. It develops in the dark. It's like, oh, that's true. And Jesus is gonna to say to John, hey, John, I don't have the answer that you want, but I am the Messiah, I am at work, and you will be blessed if you hold strong. Back in January, I had been teaching in, in Jacksonville, Florida, and I was coming back from speaking there, and I had this long layover in the airport. So I'm sitting there uh, at the airport in a Chili's uh, to go, if you're curious, just trying to imagine, I'm, I'm sitting there at Chili's, and I'm eating chips and salsa, and this, this guy from the Bronx shows up and just sits down at my table, doesn't ask, just plops down at my table, and he's like, hey, I need a spot. I'm like, cool, <laughs> welcome. And, and so we sit down, we begin this conversation, and this guy was a fascinating character, you know, in his probably late 50s, early 60s. He's one of those guys that is just like a master craftsman in using profanity, and so maybe you've been around one of these people before, like his ability to just weave profanity in between syllables and in all sorts of ways, it didn't even make sense. I was like, you are a master technician, my friend. And so for like 10 minutes, you know, loud and obscene and he's just talking and then, and then he asked me, so what do you do for a living? And uh, <laughs> I'm like, buddy, you're gonna love this. Um, let me tell you what I do. And so I tell him what I do and immediately uh, we begin to talk about his journey of faith. And he tells me how I grew up in a Christian home and wanted to you know, follow Jesus for most of his younger years. And he said, but in my early 30s, he said, I turned away from the Lord and I've never, I've never looked back, never thought twice. And I said, well, I said, why'd you turn away? And he said, well, you know, that church is just so filled with like hypocritical people, which makes a lot of sense. Like, I mean, it's a, I'm like, we've all been around us, right? So I'm not even gonna blame anybody else. You've been around you and you know why people would struggle to believe in Jesus. So, um, we're all hypocrites. And he's like, man, I've, I've struggled. And he said, I walked away. And I, I didn't really know what to ask him. So I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of internally just asking the spirit of God, okay, Lord, is there another question to ask? And, and so I kept kind of engaging him. I said, hey, okay, I get that people are messed up, but is that really worth walking? If God is like living and alive and real and good, is it worth forfeiting all of that goodness because of you know, just people, like, I get the tension. I said, is there, any, is there any other reason? And this is where he just, he got really, he said, yeah, I'll tell you the truth. He goes, here's the truth. He goes, when I was in my early 30s, my wife and I really needed God to show up. He's like, I had served him faithfully, I had given faithfully, I had done everything that I was supposed to do, and we needed God, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and he didn't give us a no, and he didn't give us a not yet, he gave us nothing. 
And when he gave us nothing, I thought, I'm done. And it was one of the first times I think I ever really saw Matthew 11, verse six, that warning from Jesus embodied, where Jesus said, hey, blessed is the person that doesn't lose their faith because I don't do what they think I should do. Guys, it's one thing to be disoriented and disappointed by people. It is a totally different thing to be disoriented and disappointed when Jesus allows us to keep walking through a dark place and we don't understand where he is or what he's doing or how it lines up with what he's, at, uh, what he's supposed to be doing. But guys, in the midst of all of it, he is still God and he is still good and blessed is the person that does not give up because God didn't do what you thought he should do. And sometimes the only thing we know to do in these seasons of disappointment is just what John did. It's like you get the choice, I run further away or I, I draw closer to him. And I love what John does. John, in community, comes to Jesus with brutal honesty and he goes, hey, here's what's going on. And some of you, after this month that we've just been through, you've heard all sorts of testimonies. You've seen all sorts of things. But what you need to do is you need to get on your knees before the Lord today and go, okay, God, I see the way you answered their prayer and their prayer and their prayer and their prayer, but I haven't seen it in, in my prayers and I'm a little disappointed and I trust you and I love you, but here's where I'm at. And here's what I love is, is there is good news. For those that are doubting, there is good news for those that are discouraged and disappointed and disillusioned even by the actions of Jesus himself. I love this right after John's moment of disappointment. Jesus turns to the crowd and he goes, listen, of all the people ever born of women, this guy is the best and if it can happen to him, it'll happen to you. Don't lose your faith on account of me. I love the way you see this all throughout Jesus' ministry. I could give you story after story. I'll just give you a few. They're in the boat in the middle of the storm. The disciples are scared. They begin to doubt. They're disoriented by what's happening. Jesus stands up and calms the storm. He deals with their doubt. But I love it because he doesn't throw them out of the boat. He doesn't go, you terrible disciples. You're doubting. Throw you out of the boat. Get some new ones. No, he keeps them on the team. Martha and Mary, they're disappointed that Jesus doesn't show up sooner after the death of their brother Lazarus. Jesus weeps with them. He engages them in their disappointment and their pain. Thomas, after the resurrection, he goes, unless I see Jesus myself, unless I touch the scars, I'm not gonna believe. And I love this, Jesus doesn't kick him off the team. He doesn't go, man, that guy's out of here. Forget him. What Jesus do? He says, hey, come here, buddy. Touch my hands, touch my side. He looks him in the eye and says, don't doubt. Matthew 28, after the resurrection, it says the disciples meet Jesus at the, mount of, at the mountain there in Galilee. And it says when they see him, some of them worship, some of them doubted. And I love this. Jesus doesn't separate them into two teams, the haves and the have-nots, the varsity and the JV. He gives all of them the same great commission because Jesus knows that to be disappointed to doubt, to be disoriented, even by the actions of God, is a pit stop on the journey of faith, but it's not been, but, it, but it's not your permanent dwelling place. And Jesus meets us there and he says, hey, come on, come on out. He can handle it. 
There's been two questions that have been so helpful to me over the years when I've been in seasons of disappointment and despair. I'll just give these to you very quickly and then we'll receive communion together and end with a time of prayer and worship. Question number one, when I've been in a season of disappointment that's been very helpful for me, is just asking myself the question, does God exist for my happiness or do I exist for his glory? Does God exist for my happiness or do I exist for his glory? Now, we all know the church answer. You all know what you should say in church on a Sunday. But in a dark night of the soul, in a season of disappointment, it's worth sitting and really wrestling with what do I expect? Do I expect God to steward my happiness or to bring about his glory? Because the reality is God can bring about his glory even if I don't feel very happy. And sometimes my circumstances and my unmet expectations and my limited perspective keep me in a sea of unhappiness at times, and yet God's glory can still be found there. So does my life, does God exist for my happiness or do I exist for his glory? Second question, when I'm in a season of great disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, or doubt, is God, how have my circumstances distorted the way that I view your character? How have my circumstances distorted the way that I view your character? I wanna encourage you, if you're one of the seasons, to sit with those questions before the Lord and in community and with brutal honesty, bring it back to Jesus. There's space around Jesus' table. There's space for you in this community. There is space for you even when you feel that turmoil in the soul. Here in a few moments, we have men and women at the Respond Banner. We'd love to pray with you. If your heart, ache, uh, if your heart is aching, if your heart broken, if, if you're struggling, we'd love to pray over you. We have freedom prayer teams. You can sign up for a freedom prayer. We'd love to do that. You know, there's some of you here this morning, and this is honestly the season that I'm in. I'm in a season where personally, this season for me has not been marked by disappointment. <laughs> it's not the message I plan to preach today. I just felt like this is what we needed as a church. And there's some of you sitting here this morning going, man, I've seen God answer prayers and I've seen God move in mighty ways and I feel encouraged. Praise God for that. But I guarantee you there is someone near you that does not share the same level of spiritual optimism that you currently share. And so for those of you that are filled with hope and faith and life and joy this morning, I wanna encourage you to just simply ask God to open your eyes to the people around you that are facing disappointment and ask Jesus to help you to be slow to speak, quick to listen, to come with the ministry of presence as opposed to the ministry of answers. To show up, to sit, to listen, and in the right time and in the right way, the Holy Spirit, I believe, will give you a word for the people around you to lift them out of the pit. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I, I wanna encourage you, you can stand with me. We're gonna receive bread. And we're gonna receive the cup. We're gonna reflect on just the, the kindness of Jesus that despite our understanding, despite our view, despite our struggles and our challenges and all that, despite any of that, that Jesus, he came and he died and he rose again. He's forgiven your sins. He is filled you with his spirit. There's some of you here that are not followers of Jesus. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to fill you with his spirit. And every week we, we come to the table of grace. We take the bread and we take the cup. We confess sin, we share. And this is a great space this morning. After you go to the bar, you go to the table, you get the bread and the cup, come back, circle your chairs up. And together, 
I just want to encourage you to honestly, and if so, brutally, just bring your honest hearts before the Lord, carry any burdens together, and spend some time praying uh, that God would meet you in that. So I'll pray, we'll receive communion, we'll have a couple of songs to end our time together, and there'll be some men and women over to my left and right that would love to pray over you. Father, thank you for the way that you meet us in the ups and the downs, in the good seasons and in the hard seasons. Thank you for the way that you meet us in the midst of our disappointment. And God, we just declare that uh, your ways are not our ways, your thoughts are not our thoughts. Jesus, even when you were in the garden of Gethsemane and you were pleading with the Father, hey, if, if there's a way that we could do this without the cross, take this cup from me. Three times the Father said, no, this is the way. This is the way. And you said, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, there are a number of us in this room today who just our first declaration is, God, we don't understand, but not our, our will, your will be done. And Lord, we just surrender ourselves to you this morning. Lord, as we take the bread, as we take the cup, we just acknowledge that the circumstances of your life did not line up with what everyone else thought around. It didn't seem to make sense that the greatest person that ever lived, the sinless son of God, would go through what you went through. But Lord, we just declare that even in that dark moment on Calvary, something was happening that was beyond human comprehension. And we thank you, Lord, that you endured that dark place, that you did not hit the eject button, that God, you did that for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we just ask you, would you just lead us in those same moments? God, would you minister to us today? You tell us that you're here with us. And so, Lord, would you minister as we break the bread and take the cup in the name of Jesus, amen.